Well, good morning. Let me invite you to turn with me to your Bibles. We're looking at Romans 5, you'll find your verse in your worship folder as well. I'm very grateful for Pastor Lee for preaching last week. And uh, here I am back with you on this uh, perfect snowy day at the beginning of 2015. And at the start of this new year, um, a great wish might be uh, to have some more peace. And if that is what's on your mind, that's what's in the passage in front of you, and you'll be encouraged. And if you have no concern at all with peace, then you're in the wrong place. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and I will start reading from Romans 3, verses 21 to 26, uh, to set some of the context. And as we turn now to the Bible, let us pray. Lord, as we come now to your word, we ask that you would teach us by your Spirit, and we pray that by that same Spirit, you would open our ears to hear, to understand, and to put into practice what it is that you are saying. We ask this uh, for Jesus' glory and in his name. Amen. Let us hear God's word. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26, and then afterwards Romans 5, verse 1. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And now, friends, we come to Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I suppose it's true that just about everybody wants peace in actual fact. We live hectic lives these days. We have many distractions, many responsibilities, and perhaps our one New Year's resolution would be to find a little bit more peace and quiet. We would like a, a sense of calm, Peace in that uh, idea of peace, perhaps. Perhaps that's what you particularly would like. If not, I suppose every single one of us would like there to be global peace. Uh, peace in the Middle East, peace in Ukraine, peace over the whole world. Uh, there'll be some of us who uh, would have on their list of things that they would wish that could take place in the new year. Uh, peace in this country, in America, and by peace in this America, I don't mean that we are at war with each other in sort of a physical sense, uh, but there's no doubt that we live in a time of culture wars. Uh, we live in a time when there has been much stress and tension between ethnic groups and races, and there are social divisions, socioeconomic divisions. Uh, perhaps uh, you would wish that there could be more peace in this country. 
And this uh, longing is nothing new and quite natural and in many ways a good thing. It's a desire that we would have this kind of peace, even if we don't often achieve it, at least for long. However, the word peace in our passage today has a whole different nomenclature, a different semantic range, a different meaning to it. So our typical use of the word peace, we mean uh, something uh, different from this word here, which almost certainly Paul has in mind his own rabbinic background, his own Hebrew Jewish background, and so when he uses the word peace, he means um, shalom, that kind of peace. And really to understand the whole uh, nomenclature, the semantic range of the word peace here, you'd have to do a word study. In the, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament of Shalom and all the different ways it was used. Uh, now, that uh, word peace is uh, a more positive, to put it in a very brief summary, than our typical word for peace. So when we say peace, we mean something negative in the sense of something which is the absence of something else. So the absence of something that causes strife or war or tension. It's not that. The absence of something. But when this word peace here is used, it means something more positive. It means the presence of fullness, completeness, wholeness. And also, just in context, where we cannot understand a word uh, purely by looking in our dictionaries, we have to look in the context of the way it's being used. In this passage here, it is very clear that Paul is not talking about peace between people. I mean, Paul says this is peace with God. So this is about peace with God, not peace with people. And uh, then also this is, uh, in context here, not a subjective kind of peace. It's not a feeling of peace, not an attitude, not an atmosphere. You know, oh, that was a wonderful, peaceful time. That's not the kind of peace that Paul is talking about. We can know this by the way this passage is structured. So verse 11 is uh, the conclusion of uh, a new section here from verse 1 to verse 11, and Paul returns to his subject. They're talking about reconciliation. So at the end of this passage, verse 11, Paul again returns this theme of peace by the word reconciliation. It's a different word, but it has the same meaning. It's what's called inclusio, top and tail. He's coming back to the way, the place that he began. And he means by peace that which reconciles us to God. So it's not an emotional thing. It's about something that brings us into a right relationship with God, a reconciliation, an actual change of relationship. So this peace here will not give us the kind of peace which means the absence of all difficulties. Again, that's made very clear by the context. Paul, in verses 3 and 4 of this passage, will talk about suffering. So whatever this peace with God is, it is not the kind of peace that means there is no suffering. Paul is talking about a peace with God that can take place and be present and be real even when we are suffering. It is higher and better and bigger than mere 
circumstantial peace. So it is the kind of peace then that we can have, that is, even when we don't feel peaceful. We might even say it's the kind of peace that we can have even in time of war. This is not the absence of suffering. It is a peace with God that can cause us to rejoice even in the middle of suffering. If we have that, that kind of peace with God, which this passage is talking about, then the other kinds of peace may follow. We may well be more likely to have peace on the world stage as we have peace with God. We may well be more likely to have peace with each other as we have peace with God. We may well be more likely to have peace internally, emotionally, psychologically as we have peace with God. Yes, all that's true, but this kind of peace is not that kind of peace. This kind of peace is first and foremost about a reconciliation with God. So as we look at this verse, it's important to keep this definition in mind because then we can be sure that we know what we're talking about when we talk about peace. This is not saying peace man or signing the bottom of an email saying peace This is about an eternal, certain, definite, unshakable reconciliation with God, a peace with God. This is not even the peace of God, that kind of peace that Philippians chapter 4 talks about, where we are free from anxiety and internal difficulty, the sort of thing that we all long to experience more of. But this here is the peace with God. It's not about how we feel or what sort of emotional state we are in right now. This piece is about an actual, definite, concrete, real reconciliation with God that is certain, unshakable, and unchangeable. The peace with God. Now, Paul here is saying that we have this peace with God because... Because we have been justified by God. Now, it's important we keep his order. He begins by saying, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And then he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing is this justified by faith. And he starts with it. It is introduced by a therefore. Every time you see a therefore in the Bible, you should pause and consider carefully. Christianity, you see, is not about a feeling or an attitude. Christianity is about the truth. So Paul is establishing that something is true now based on something else. Therefore... And that's something else he has proven already in the first four chapters of Romans. Those first four chapters of Romans are all to prove and demonstrate justification by faith. Now he begins a new section of Romans, introduced in verse 1 of chapter 5, by saying, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Note the tense of the word justified. It is in the past tense, or what is called the aorist. This tense denotes 
completed action. So this is something that has taken place. So this great truth, justification by faith, that in the first four chapters of Romans he has taught and proven and demonstrated, that we all have sinned, that we are all under the wrath of God, but that God's righteousness is available through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so all who believe in Him are declared right with God. That message He is now referring to and saying that we have been justified by faith. This is then not an ongoing potential. This is something that has taken place. If we believe in Jesus Christ and trust His death for our sins, then we have been justified. We have been declared right with God. And all this comes from noticing the therefore. He is summarizing what He has taught them so far in a single sentence. We have been justified by faith. And indicating that He is summarizing it by saying, therefore. But He's not only summarizing, He's now primarily looking forward He deals with those first four chapters with a single sentence. If you want to know what Romans 1 to 4 is all about, Paul tells you it's all about this. We have been justified by faith. That is his whole message so far, what he has been demonstrating so far. But now he's looking forward. He's building upon. He's presenting conclusions from it. Considering what I have so far proven, Paul is saying, that we have been justified by faith, therefore. So it connects to what has gone before, but now it leads to something new, something building upon what has been said. So chapter 5 then introduces a whole new section of Romans. And this section runs from chapter 5 to the end of chapter 8. And it is all about the definite, certain assurance that we have as those who believe in Jesus. You can see this in many different ways. One is how closely verses 1 to 11 of chapter 5 mirror the end of chapter 8. If you have your Bibles open, you can turn to it. I'm going to read it for you so you can see this. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? Concluding this section that begins in uh, chapter 5. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. There's the theme again. Who is he to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This definiteness, this assurance, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No happy, clappy Christianity there. 
No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he comes back full circle to what he is now introducing Introducing as absolutely certain and definite and unshakable on the basis of this, we have now been justified by faith. Therefore, because of this, now we have this certainty. And the rest of this section fits into this theme of definiteness, the certainty, the future glory, the confidence that we can have on our deathbed. Think of that uh, airline that went down in Asia recently. Do you ever think of yourself on your deathbed? We are talking about something here so practical that it can give us this definite, certain confidence. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because we've been justified by faith. And so, because of all that, we have this. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, will you note how Paul brings back in Jesus Christ? He cannot stop mentioning him. Jesus is everywhere in Paul's thinking. And that phrase, through our Lord Jesus Christ, ties together this whole new section of Romans 5 to 8, actually. It ties together verses 1 to 11, which are a distinct part of this overall new section. So verse 11 again, Paul returns saying, through our Lord Jesus Christ, tying back in again. Then verses 12 to 21, which people often find hard to fit into Paul's argument here, but which is really about our union with Christ, that we can be confident, certain, because we're united in Christ. That section also finishes the same way, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then the objections that Paul deals with in chapters 6 and 7. People saying, well, if it is so certain, then can we not behave however we like? Very common objection today to this message. And then Paul answers that with a profound no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And that section, each time, is finished the same way. Chapter 6, verse 23. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Then chapter 7. Concludes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then chapter 8, the end of this new section from chapter 5 through to the end of chapter 8, finishes the same way. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul could not have done more to try to emphasize his point. Because of what Jesus has done, Because of his blood on the cross, because of the triumphant resurrection from the dead, then, therefore, 
we who trust in him, have faith in him, are justified by him through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, Paul says, we have peace with God. So Paul is saying that we have been justified, past tense, as a completed action of God, that we have through faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore we have peace with God. Now remember, this peace is not an emotional peace. It's not about the way we feel or the absence of anxiety. This is not the peace of God, which you read about in Philippians chapter 4. This is peace with God, about our reconciliation with him. This is not just the absence of war or the absence of difficulties. This is the Hebrew thinking about peace in that word shalom, which is in the background to this word here, a more positive word with a bigger sense of wholeness, completeness, satisfaction, not just the absence of difficulties, the right kind of life. That kind of peace you have when you are whole and complete and fulfilled. This, Paul is saying, we have with God. He is thinking about our eternal destiny and our confidence in that. So verse 9, since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We have then right now as a present reality something certain, definite, declared to be true through Jesus Christ our Lord, irrespective of sufferings and difficulties and emotional problems or relational frictions or wars or how we feel about ourselves. We have this peace with Now, if you have an ESV Bible in front of you, you will note that there is a footnote in it at this point which says, some manuscripts let us. Obviously, that would change the meaning of this. It would change it from something that we have to something we are urged to make sure that we have. Let us have peace with God. Which did Paul write? This is a manuscript matter. The Bible has more manuscripts and in better quality than any other ancient text many, many times over. 24,000 copies of the New Testament, some very small pieces, others large full copies, and much closer to the original than in any other ancient text. Now, there are textual matters in the manuscripts as there are so many copies. Uh, Those uh, papers I wrote on the historical reliability of the Old and New Testament uh, may well help you. Here, the earlier copies have the reading that is in the footnotes, let us have. However, just about every scholar agrees that the right reading is we have peace with God. The reason for that is the context. Everything in this passage is about the certainty, confidence we have. It is also a statement of what we have, not an exhortation to attain it. 
And so to put in let us at this point, we would miss everything that Paul was saying. The difference you see in Greek between we have and let us is only one letter. And the difference in sound between the two words is very marginal and minor. But the point Paul is making here is certainly we have. The very next verse makes that clear. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is something we have, not something we need to attain. So Bruce Metzger says, only the indicative, that is we have peace, only the indicative is consonant with the apostle's argument. And what is that argument? It is that because we have been justified by faith, the argument he has been making in the first four chapters of Romans, because of that, therefore, something follows. What follows? What follows is this peace with God. We now stand in that. We have it despite suffering and difficulties. We have it whether we feel it or not. We have it for sure, for certain, definite, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, if that is what the apostle is saying, then no question could be more important than whether we truly do have this peace. For certainly there are counterfeits. How do we know? Counterfeit peace tends to have these four indications. One, they tend to be those who never have concern about whether they have it or not. They are too sure, too confident, glib. For they do not understand the weight of sin. You see, the real Christian is the kind of person who has looked into the mouth of hell and realized that there's only one person and one person alone who can rescue them. It is all for him through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not their own power or their own confidence. Then, too, those who have counterfeit peace tend to live carelessly in terms of their own conscience. They are not concerned with uh, how they obey Jesus or follow him. For their peace is something to do with their own personality or their own circumstances. It's not about reconciliation with God, so they just go on living however they like. But the real Christian is not like that. He or she is very careful with how he lives, keeping faith and a good conscience to maintain his sense of peace. Then three, those with a false peace tend to not care much for the church. Because they don't sense their need of other Christians to encourage them, remind them of these uh, great truths. 
Their peace comes from themselves and what they think about themselves, not from the Bible and the truth of God. And so they don't feel their need of other Christians to lift them up and build them up. They have a counterfeit peace. And then fourth, those with a counterfeit peace tend to not care very much for the Bible itself. They don't sense their need of the truths here. They're not wrestling with who God is and how can they know him. Their peace is security in their own strength. It's not a peace that comes from God. They are like the Maginot line that built a wall in the wrong place and didn't really have the kind of peace that they thought they had. Do we have true peace with God? How do we know? Well, it all comes down to keeping in mind Paul's argument here. This peace with God comes after, as a result, as a consequence of a great truth that is certain and definite, something objective and finished through what Jesus did on the cross. Faith in that and in him means we are justified, have a right standing before God. And so when we have this true peace, we can know for these three reasons. One, We sometimes have uncertainties. We are not overconfident. We are aware that there is suffering and difficulty. We are not glib or certain in our own selves. We know what it is to be a sinner. Actually, the greatest Christians have always been those with the greatest sense of sin and an even greater sense of grace. That's what causes thanksgiving and joy. You cannot be truly, biblically joyful with a heavenly joy until you have run from the pit of hell. Think of John Newton with his experience of the terrible slave trade. Think of his great hymn, Amazing Grace. How can it be that God would save a wretch like me? Until you realize that, you will not be able to have the full height of the joy that we'll be looking at next week when we come to the next verse in this amazing section of Romans. Nor will you have the peace. There is a wonder. How can it be? Really? Me, a sinner, saved by grace? See, all this is the very opposite of the sort of false peace that uh, thinks to itself, well, of course God loves me. After all, who wouldn't? Two, the person with true peace with God has it even when things don't go right for them. Now, again, this is very different from counterfeit peace. 
The person with false peace can be all very confident until something goes wrong. But when it does, it's all over with their peace and they are in torment. What happened? Why did it all go wrong? But the person who has peace with God is not finally cast down by suffering and difficulty. For their peace is above and beyond that. Their peace is something that is above and beyond circumstances, even if those circumstances can be very difficult. That person is not finally shaken by such difficult circumstances because his peace is with God. Not with himself or his circumstances or his job or his bank balance. It is with the person of God himself whose promises and the prophets of old that peace would come to his people is now finally fulfilled in the person of Jesus in whom the righteous man believes and therefore is declared righteous and therefore has this unshakable, unmovable peace with God even when he doesn't feel like it. Finally, true peace with God lasts even when the Christian sins. Someone falls into sin. They're caught by surprise, by a temptation, and they give in. They still have peace with God. This is the most remarkable thing about this passage that we are now just beginning to study. It sings with certainty, it resounds with confidence, and it is not finally defeated even by our own sins. How could it be? Our peace with God is not based on what we have done or do. It is based on what God has done in Christ. That's the whole point that Paul has been making. A radical point, no doubt, a teaching that can be abused by some, an abuse that he will guard against when he comes to chapter 6 and 7, saying, no, actually, the real Christian, the true born-again Christian, because he is in Christ, will eschew sin and seek godliness. All that is true. But still, this teaching remains. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As uh, John puts it in his first letter, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. 
But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we have peace with God. Let us pray. Lord, we bow before you to confess our sins as we come now to this table. We do so freely in the understanding that there would have been no need for your sacrifice, nor for this remembrance of that sacrifice if we were not sinners. By your Spirit, undeceive us so that we can be frank with you about our sins. Lord, we are also grateful as we come to this, your table, because it does not simply remind us of our sins, but it reminds us of our standing before you. We are invited to your table to feast with you. And so as we come now to that point in uh, our service, we pray that you would renew us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.